0: Hello and welcome to the Art Engager podcast with me, Claire Baum. I'm here to share techniques and tools to help you engage with your audience and bring art, objects, and ideas to life. So let's dive into this week's show. Hello and welcome back to the Art Engager podcast. I'm your host Claire Bowne of Thinking Museum and this is episode 89. So I have a guest for you today on the show. I'm really happy to be talking to Hannah Cushion about her work as an artist and educator. But before that, as always, if you'd like to support this show, you can do so by treating me to a cup of tea on buymeacoffee.com forward slash Claire I'll put a link in the show notes. You can also help this podcast reach more people by posting about this show on your own social media accounts and also by sharing, liking, and commenting on my social media feeds. It all helps. Do recommend The Art Engager to your friends too. Thank you for all your support. It really does help to keep the show growing and going. So let me introduce my guest this week. Hannah Cushion is an artist and museum educator working in London and Oxfordshire in the UK. Her work is interested in themes around archiving and preservation. She's interested in why we keep the things we keep, and who we're keeping them for. Now, since receiving a Creative Practice Grant from Arts Council England in 2021, Hannah has been looking at ways to directly connect her museum practice with her art practice And this has led to the development of the Memory Bank project, a fantastic project, really a collection of stories and memories connected to everyday objects. Now, museum labels tell us one story, but in this project, what if the objects themselves could talk? And how do we encourage people to include their own stories and experiences when we talk about objects? So as this project develops, Hannah is exploring how she can adapt her skills as a facilitator to her role as a story collector. So in our chat today, we talk about how Hannah accidentally ended up in museum education and how her practice as an educator informs her artistic practice. We discuss how inclusivity, curiosity, and the opportunity to collaborate with people and create connection and meaningful connections, whether that's with objects, in collections, or whether that's between people, are all really important to her work. Hannah talks about some of the projects that she's been working on. She talks about home is where the heart is. This is a collaborative intergenerational project with residents of the Aylesbury estate in South East London, exploring the challenges brought up by the relocation of their homes with the aim of building resilience in the face of change. And of course, we talk about what the Memory Bank Project is, how it works, and how Hannah encourages participants to share their personal connections, stories, experiences, and memories around an object. And we tell you how you can take part too. So here it is. I absolutely love talking to Hannah. Enjoy this chat. Hi, Hannah. Welcome to the Art Engager podcast. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Could you tell me where you are right
1: now? I am at home in Oxfordshire on a particularly grey day. And yeah, busy working at my kitchen table today.
0: Thanks for locating yourself in a particular location. It's always nice to know where people are joining us from. So could you explain to our listeners what it is that you do and how you came to be doing what you're doing? Ah, so I
1: um, my background is in fine art and also in museum and gallery education. I started off with a degree in mixed media fine art and as part of that degree I had to do a work placement module. And what I really wanted to do was a rehang. And I wanted to go to take and Eyes was from Cornwall. I wanted a chance to go back. And the modules didn't align and all the timings of the rehang didn't align. And so where I accidentally ended up was in their education department, which turned out to be incredibly fortuitous. And that opened up a whole world of Understanding that museum education existed and was a thing and was something that I could be involved in. So, finishing university, I worked at Camden Arts Centre and started to kind of National Gallery and started to build my connections with different museums. And I've been really fortunate that over the last, um, I guess, 15 years, my practice in museum education has grown and grown and grown. So, I've been really lucky to work across lots of different sites with lots of different collections lots of different groups of people and that's become yeah my main my main practice and my main enjoyment and has really informed what I do as an artist as well
0: yeah so perhaps you could say a little bit about that how your practice as a museum educator an accidental museum educator if as you just said (laughs) informs your practice as an artist
1: so my my work had always been really interested in archiving and preservation, why you keep the things that you keep. I come from a long line of hoarders. And so that kind of stuff and objects had always been really fascinating and something that you held on to. And then I found myself in museums with Archives full of stuff that people have kept hold of to tell different stories and had different levels of access. And so I'd been really interested in the things that you keep and how you keep them, whether it's in shoe boxes or biscuit tins at the back of wardrobes, like stuff that's really precious to us, but we kind of disregard in the back of drawers. And I'd looked at ways of, as an artist, preserving it using traditional methods of preservation like wax and salt, but ultimately destroyed and transformed the object that turned it into something. Else, and I think that kind of they ran really parallel for a really long time. That I was really interested in the stuff that we keep and why we keep it, and what it says, and who we're keeping it for. Which I think are similar questions that we have in museums. And then they had this sort of museum practice that ran like side by side, where I got to work with lots of collections and explore some of that, some of those questions with those collections, and occasionally get to go into archives, which my hoarding genes really enjoys the experience but I think it's that kind of domestic collections and cultural collections and how much crossover there is often between them that they all tell stories and so I, where I've ultimately got to is a little bit of a story collector
0: there lots of thoughts coming up for me there as well. There's a fascination with objects and why objects are in museums and why they've been collected and who collected them and why some are on display and why some are not. But also objects in our everyday lives as well, as in, you know, why we, as you say, keep the stuff we do, hang on to certain things and the way we attach importance to certain objects, more so to some objects than to other objects. And about the stories they tell as well. So yes, aligns very much with my interests. Would you say there are values and principles that guide your practice? This is a question that we ask quite often on the podcast. It's always really fascinating uh, insight into why people do the things they do.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really great question. It was really great opportunity to think about that as well because I do have values behind my work and I had not articulated them in a really long time but I think a lot of what I'm really interested in is inclusivity it's about who those spaces are for who has ownership over them and I really passionately think that it's the audiences people who come in who should have ownership over those collections and how we make them accessible for a range of people who perhaps don't always feel like they're welcome in those spaces or that they can access those spaces or that they know how to think or talk in those spaces so I think inclusivity is really important to me um curiosity I love a space where you've got to be driven by your curiosity to find out more and you're rewarded for your curiosity as well in that kind of digging around I really enjoy artworks that make me curious and encourage me to be curious and I really enjoy conversations where I come away and I'm like oh Oh, I want to find out more about this, or I want to go and dig. And I feel my role as a facilitator is about igniting curiosity. Quite often, um, I think the things about participatory practice and working collaboratively. And I think the further and further I've got through my career, I don't want to work on my own, and I don't want it to be a conversation where I'm sat in my own echo chamber. And those conversation, that collaboration, is. Far more interesting. The journey to the end result is much more interesting to me than necessarily the end result. So I think that opportunity to collaborate with people and to create connection and meaningful connections, whether that's with objects in collections or whether that's between people, um, are really important to me. So, and I feel like my role as a facilitator is often about creating those connections and facilitating those connections and enabling them. So, yeah, I think inclusivity, curiosity, sort of collaboration, participatory practice and connection are the values that underpin.
0: Yeah, wonderful values there with a lot of those. So how do do you integrate those values into some of the projects that you work on? I was looking at your website. You've worked on some fascinating projects. Perhaps you'd like to give us a couple of examples of projects where those values have been at the foreground. Um, So it's really lucky I worked with uh,
1: a colleague, Harriet Menahill, who's another artist who's worked extensively on the Aylesbury estate in South East London. And we proposed a project that was about building resilience. So a lot of the buildings that were built in the 70s and are now being pulled down. So residents are being relocated. And it was about building resilience in the face of change. And then the pandemic came (laughs) and (laughs) changed how we were going to have to deliver this project. Um, And we did it as a postcard. Exchange And our idea initially been to work intergenerationally so that younger residents could benefit from the experience of older residents um, who'd been through change before. And looking at what home is and how home is something that you take with you regardless of bricks and mortar. Um, and so we started it as, as a postcard exchange where we sent out boxes of some art materials, some blank posters, a weekly envelope with a question in it. And we facilitated online sessions. So we had a kind of coffee morning with some of our older residents and we did a kind of online interactive art for some of our younger residents. And each week they'd then write on the postcard, send it back to me, and then we'd I'd exchange them and send them back out so uh, they would have someone else's experience. And we asked questions like about a memorable event or about what your favorite food is. And we were looking for, connection and shared experiences but also the differences in between generations and what that meant and what that experience of living on Aylesbury has been like across the spectrum of people it was a really beautiful exchange and there were wonderful moments where you realize how memories are triggered so in memorable events one of the younger residents had mentioned about being in their tower block and being able to see the fireworks across London on bonfire night and our older residents had talked a lot about Queen's Jubilee in the 70s and remembering jubilee parties. But suddenly, when they thought about fireworks, they had that memory of being like, oh, I can remember seeing fireworks and looking out of the window. And so there was a really nice kind of... Those those memories worked both ways and they had these shared experiences across time. And there were things that were really different for the residents moving in in the 70s. It was often the first time they'd had a private bathroom in their flat, which was mind-blowing to our younger residents and recognizing kind of how times had changed but what was really special about that that moment that moving house the change that 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 brought to them and we created an exhibition of their postcards and we made a publication a booklet of their, their memories in response to these questions and it went over six weeks with six different questions and it was just this really lovely kind of like the power of memory and shared experience and although they didn't meet until quite near the end, there was this kind of bond that built up where they learned bits about each other, where they sort of discovered, I think just had a really enriched view of the estate. And they were a group of people who were already really passionate about the diversity and experience and the richness of living as part of a community that are really community-based. But I think that, for me, that power of memory and experience and where you have shared experiences, it was yeah, really powerful. And another project we worked on again with Harriet was Windows into the Collection with the Prince Philip Maritime Collection Centre, which is the store for Royal Museums Greenwich. Um, really lucky to go and get to Rummage through the store. It is often open to the public, and I really recommend if you ever get a chance to go, to go and have a look. Um, But it was about, the building is quite a strange building, and lots of people don't know what it is, it doesn't tell you from the outside what it is, and some of the older buildings are where um, the blimps, the airships were stored in the Second World War, and they're just these sort of bricked up archive buildings, and this was about creating signage for the the outside of the building, images for the outside of the building that help describe what was inside, what you might expect inside. So we worked with um, students from our pupil referral unit and to explore objects in the collection and to, um, in a, like a variety of different kind of artistic ways, and they stitched into images, they used photosensitive um, paint to create images, they did beautiful drawings. Um, and through this, they also came up with a set of words that kind of describe the actions or the the kind of the behaviours that you might undertake inside that building. But I think that bit of working really closely with groups of people to explore what something is and to um to share their experiences is, is really powerful. It's what I really love about my job is getting to work with different groups of people and to see things through their eyes and to help them explore spaces and feel a sense of ownership and belonging in them.
0: I love that. And just feel your enthusiasm coming through as you talk about those two projects as well. And the importance of collecting those memories as well, you know, just the the idea of the, the postcards, a really simple idea, but just a really, you know, simple but effective way of capturing different memories, different prompts, getting people to make connections between generations, all of that, um, Oh, just heartwarming and lovely, you know, just such a positive program to work on. The way I discovered your work was through the Memory Bank project. And I don't remember how I came across it, but I think it must have been scrolling on Instagram one day and maybe searching some of my favorite hashtags, maybe to do with objects, maybe to do with museum education. And I came across the memory bank project and yeah, I was blown away by it, totally fascinated, wanted to know more. So could you perhaps spend a little bit of time telling us about what it is and why you started it?
1: Yeah, thank you for that. I I realised that my work as a museum educator was for work that directly paid me, was the work that I was focusing a lot of my energy on, and I did a lot of it as an artist educator. But I spent a lot less time on my art practice than I did on my museum practice. And I've got some colleagues who really effectively, the two are much more interwoven. Their conversations in museums are connected to their practice, and some who it's really separate. And I was starting to feel quite frustrated that they ran really parallel but never seemed to cross. And I was really fortunate in 2021, I applied for developing a Developing Your Creative Practice grant from Arts Council England and was successful which I'm incredibly lucky and it allowed me to start thinking about how I could connect the two sort of more directly and how they become become a bit more um, the same practice rather than these two kind of independent practices Um, and how I was going to do that and how I did that turned out to be totally different but what came up in the middle was the memory bank project and it kind of came out of this. Um Frustration sometimes that in museums the interpretation labels are really small, and they have a very limited amount of information that's often quite factual. It's where things have come from, it's what they're made out of, it's you know a really small part of their story and for me, there was always that fascination of what if objects could talk like what would they say what what stories could they tell tell us? And how often, and then also recognizing how often people are intimidated by museum spaces, and don't feel like they have a background in Renaissance art. So, but they don't have something to say about it. And then, what really struck me in working at places like London Transport Museum is how accessible that collection is. that regardless of um, who you are? you've traveled to the museum that day. You've gotten on transport somewhere whether you've walked, whether you've gone on the bus, whether you've come on a train. And so there's something really tangible, and people feel empowered by that and are much more comfortable with that collection. And what I see in the National Gallery is paintings about love and loss and death and passion and friendship. There's objects in all of those paintings that are familiar, everyday objects. They're things that we can talk about. There's, fruits and vegetables there's baskets and cloves there's everything that's there's really tangible things that are ways in but somehow we have this kind of like barrier to like can I talk about it is my experience relevant and I was interested in creating a kind of like vehicle's not quite the right word but an, an interaction in the middle that was about asking different viewpoints like if these objects could talk what stories would they have and and capturing multiple perspectives that it's not just about what the museum label says this object has a resonance for you and that story is part of the bigger story as well and understanding where we have shared experiences and where we have differing experiences and how that in understanding what that object means to multiple different people and how your story affects and impacts the way that you view something and experience something, and that that's really valid. And it's we're all richer for sharing those stories and those ideas. Um, So the Memory Bank became a way of using objects as a stimulus to ask people for their memories, for their stories, and to bring them together into what I hope will eventually be a searchable database of associated memories with everyday objects and since the start I started with objects like a shell which was always quite pertinent in my work and I come from Cornwall and I feel a great affinity with the sea so shells were a good starting point for me personally but then I loved the the stories that happened in the conversations that happened and I like I had a moment where I asked, I started by harassing people I knew, including my parents to get memories. And I'd written some out as like my own kind of like trying out myself, like what would I write down? And I'd added my own. And I had a, I remember vividly, like as a child, making a matchbox, putting plaster on the top, quite a big matchbox, putting plaster on the top and embedding like shells we'd collected and a bit of seaweed. And I can still remember how crispy that seaweed felt and then having this sort of, matched box with this quite chunky top but all of these shells that you could keep something precious in and I'd written a memory about that and I asked my mum I hadn't shown her mine I asked her and she came up with the same story but from her point of view as a parent with a child making this uh, making this box we hadn't talked about this box for 30 years I don't. I think it's long gone, and it's been turfed out in a clear out. So it didn't make for dizzying heights of, you know, the permanent collection. So it's long gone, and it's something about power of like sharing an experience and how like your different viewpoints on it, but also the power of like having a conversation with someone and what that allows you to access or to to suddenly understand a bit more about somebody else. And it's made me really sort of reevaluate my role as an artist in that they've always, like I, I knew as a facilitator and I knew as an artist. And I think what my art practice has become, my role is, as artist has become much more as facilitator, but I've almost become a story collector. And the bit I'm interested in is how I can create moments of interaction, of connection, and how I can, yeah, facilitate those conversations and help people make those connections. And it's made me ask questions about how present I need to be for all of those conversations. When I first started, I really just wanted everybody's memories. Um, and then there was a point of going, do I need them? Like, if someone goes off and has a conversation and goes home, it's like, oh my gosh, I was talking about tea today and it really made me think about this time that this happened. And someone else it's like, oh my gosh, yes, my mum was like, whatever, but there's a, you know, in my family, we did this or when I was traveling, I saw this and it sparks on and that conversation carries on. It doesn't matter that I don't collect it and it's not mine, but there's something about being the conversation starter, I guess, the catalyst for other people to go off and start having those conversations. I think I've waffled, does that
0: make sense? No, that was so interesting. I was thinking there's so many points I could pick up on there. I loved what you were talking about, about museum labels right at the start, when you were talking about museum labels, sometimes not containing that much information, sometimes containing only certain amounts of information, and certainly not all the stories that we might want to tell. And then when you went on and you talked about connections as well, I can see so many parallels with the work I do and encouraging people to share their personal connections to an object, be it an artwork or, or an object. And you can have so many people within that group that will have a different perspective based on where they're coming from. Anytime you ask anyone to make any connections to anything, you'll get such a rich variety of stories that it's it's fascinating. And that's the, the little bit of magic that I love. That's the thing that brings those conversations alive. Do you find similar thing happens when people are you know suddenly making connections to an object
1: yeah it's really kind of I think it's really exciting there's always a the bit sometimes I found it's been an interesting journey for me working out how to make the memory bank work and how to encourage people to want to share their memories and I think where it's strongest is when it's when I'm part of a conversation and where I can there's like an interaction there's a not a performance is the wrong word but that I'm facilitating that conversation and I'm asking people, and I find it fascinating how if I ask people for a memory, they'll often feel like what you're asking for is something that's um really profound or is a a a notable moment, but that's something that has some perceived value that you want to share. But I love everyday memories and in you know, collecting memories about tea. Was really fascinating from how people take their tea every day, at what time of day they drink it, like the routine and the ritual that came into it that differs. The stories of sort of migration and how people have moved and discovered tea drinking rituals are different, or people take their tea differently, or it has a different meaning, a different set of associations. The rituals around it are different. How it had sort of stories of generations as well, where people remember as children how their parents took their tea or had tea, cup of tea together at the end of the day and now they have similar rituals and that kind of historic kind of carrying on of that and I think that and that conversation around how like that you do have like you have a memory and an experience to contribute and how you kind of empower people to feel like their story is a story worth sharing Had become a really kind of interesting balance as a facilitator. Like, how do I use the questioning I would use as a facilitator about an object in a museum or gallery to ask people about their own experiences? And I loved like some of the stories again around tea that were from people who'd served in the services here and overseas and about how tea had been part of their experience there. Like, you could remember. Uh, one person telling me about how you could be dug down in the trenches, it could be really grim, you could be wet all the way through, but you'd always have extra tea bags in your in your ration pack. And as long as you could get some hot water and you could have your cup of tea, right, everything was going to be okay. Um, or unloading the beer, but while you're waiting for the beer to come and be unloaded, you're sitting and having a cup of tea. And that was that kind of punctuating moment in the day.
0: Oh, so many stories. And as you were talking there, I mean, we could literally have a whole podcast talking about tea because every single instance that you were mentioning there brought up memories for me memories of my grandmother, memories of my mum, memories of how they made tea differently, and how the importance of making the tea that it was made in a certain way. This is how we make the tea. They may make it like this. We make it like this. And the ritual of when you drink the tea, all. All those things will bring up all those rich connections and those those thoughts in people. And I think sometimes, as you said, people feel that we're asking for something really profound. And we really just want people to, just to make any connection they can between themselves and the object. And sometimes I find it's easier if maybe I model an answer first and say, well, this, this is what, how I'm connecting with it right now. But if you ask me tomorrow it might be in a completely different way. Um, You know, maybe the weather's different or I feel different. So it's literally how you are feeling at that moment and what comes up for you. And I love what you were saying about creating those conversations as well. So quite often we can have the best questions in the world, but if we don't make the people we're talking to feel comfortable enough to answer them, then those questions will fall flat. So how do you create those connections with the people you're talking to so that you can get them to feel comfortable enough to share memories and really to, to remember those memories, to feel relaxed enough to do that in yeah. your presence?
1: Yeah, I think it's been really interesting. There's something I'm still working on and I'm every now and again, I have a, like, a little breakthrough moment. I found Instagram really interesting for experimenting and I love that there's sort of so much functionality sometimes in the stories that I can ask people like a question and they can type it back in so sometimes I experiment a little bit in Instagram I think that where it's strongest and there's an element of anonymity as well so you can put them through my website and there's an anonymous submission form so you don't have to put your name to it so sometimes I think we're comfortable when we're a little bit more anonymous and there's no personal I don't keep any of any personal data so they are all anonymous. But I think it definitely works better as a conversation. And it's definitely um in a in a group or in in an individual conversation of being able to ask someone why something's important to them to give examples to share and to have it as an exchange. And I think my most successful moments have been where there's there isn't an exchange. And I think that exchange has become quite important that I'm not just asking you. I'm not just taking, and that feels quite uncomfortable to just take. I want you to come away and feel a little bit richer as well from the experience. So I found where I like people have offered a memory and in return taken a memory. So with the tea, we put everyone made it on carbon paper, and one copy would go into a tea bag, into a tea caddy, and you could take one out. And there were really lovely moments of like children lifting them out and being like, "It's a good one." I'm going to put it back in so someone else can enjoy it as well. (laughs) It's just kind of sort of people taking it away and putting it in their pocket to take later, to read later or people kind of taking it, reading it and putting it back in that that's been enough. I've absorbed it. I've collected it. So I found, yeah, definitely having an exchange works. I think giving people examples of the sorts of stories I'm looking for and I feel like there's a really fine line between how much you read that question and how much you leave it open and I I find it not difficult to find that balance but I'm very aware of that balance of I I want to give you some examples I want you to feel like you can I can an everyday story is fine that's exactly what I'm looking for but without kind of yeah putting putting words in someone's mouth absolutely
0: and, and as you say that's very much two-way process that it's 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 a conversation yeah. and there's a flow to it and also you want the people that you're talking to to be able to to feel that you're invested as much in their story as they are so yeah, it, yeah it's 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 very important that that happens when you were talking i was thinking i was thinking about whether anything has surprised you in any of the maybe the the objects that people have chosen or the memories that have come up is there anything that's been surprising in the process quite often we can have expectations for <laughs> how something might turn out but is there anything that's kind of been thrown up that's slightly out of the ordinary
1: I started collecting memories I worked with a group called Mapping Local Ecologies who are connected to Goldsmiths University and they were interested in alternative ways that you could map a local area and so i it was based around Deptford and Newcross, and i I did it by mapping memories and asking people to share their memories be they every day or historic of the local area. And there were just really great things that came out that um, suddenly sort of brought the area a bit more alive for me. It's where my studio was based for a long time, and I so I'd worked for a long time in the area. But it was just just like wonderfully kind of quirky stories that came my favorite was about an allotment tortoise and it was about remembering this tortoise who used to go around eating everyone's vegetables and that one day they took the tortoise home in the pram of their brothers in the vivid of brothers pram and 59 years later they still have Tommy and I have so many questions about that story (laughs) like does anyone know they took the tortoise how old was the tortoise like how old is the tortoise now like did any, like what's, what's happened to Tommy since I feel like I've just and now I walk around that bit. Of, I was walking back to my studio, I'm still based there, and kind of be like, What did Tommy see? Like, how much has this area changed since Tommy was uh, terrorizing the allotment? Um, but there's yeah, I think there's bits of how it really makes something come alive for me, and that how it's it's ignited, reignited my curiosity. And part of what we did is that is we did a walk that was memory based. So again, had a set of postcards and we went to certain spots. We walked through Deptford and New Cross and asked people at different points to, they either shared a memory that I'd collected beforehand and then had to respond with a memory of theirs. Sometimes they shared it with someone else in the group. Sometimes it was just about contemplating it, writing it down, taking it for you. Sometimes it was about propping it up somewhere and leaving it for someone else to find. But I just think those, those little, like, scratching away the surface and seeing what life is like behind other doors is the bit I've really enjoyed. And I think I just enjoyed things that weren't necessarily a surprise, but felt... Just really comfortable in their familiarity is when I was collecting stories about shells, how many people's stories were about walking along a beach and finding shells. And just something that felt very intrinsically human of like walking along, seeing something and gathering it. And there was just something that for me felt very familiar, but really kind of reassuring and comforting in this humanness of gathering just things that aren't precious but are precious Um, yeah yeah
0: lovely really lovely and I also love the idea of a memory walk as well that's sparked lots of ideas for me so Hannah tell us what's next for you what's next for the memory bank project how people our listeners might be able to get involved
1: Oh, well, I'd love people to get involved. Um, I think for me, I want to make it into a searchable database. So I'd love it to be a database that other people could use and whether that's museum educators, museums, whether that's schools or story starters, whether that's other artists um, who could use it as inspiration. So I'd really love to see those memories become part of a journey and people could be able to use it. So I'm working out how to make that into a searchable database. So you could type in a keyword and find a host of, different stories and different perspectives that could start you on your way um and then look at how I can uh introduce performance more into my work as an artist but I can use my facilitation skills I've built up over the last 15 years in museums and actually my my role as an artist has changed and how I can bring that into my artwork but I am always collecting memories so you can follow me on my instagram which is at hannah Christian artist and at the memory bank project and also on my website which is hannah where there is a submission form it's just an anonymous submission form there's some ideas of objects that you could submit a memory about or memories that you feel have suddenly sparked listen to a conversation I'd love to collect but yeah hopefully i Can find more often creating the process of creating opportunities where I can develop it more into a sort of performance piece or an interactive piece as an artwork that is about exchange and memory exchange.
0: Brilliant. Brilliant. And I'm going to share as well in Slow Looking Club because I think there'll be lots of interest there for people who are fascinated by objects who will also be able to participate. So I'll put all the links to your website, to your Instagram accounts and everything in the show notes. So you can go and find out more about Hannah's work there. But thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been an absolute pleasure and a joy to talk to you. Thanks, Hannah.
1: Thank thank you so much for having me. I've really enjoyed it. It's been a really powerful opportunity. Thank you.
0: Brilliant. Bye. Bye. So a huge thank you to Hannah for being on the podcast today. Hope you enjoyed our chat. Go to the show notes to find out more about Hannah's fascinating work and to contribute to the Memory Bank project. And before you go, if you want to get more slow looking into your life and make it a regular practice, do join us in the Slow Looking Club. We have regular themes and slow looking get togethers every so often. I've put a link in the show notes so you can come and join us. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Art Engager podcast with me, Claire Bown. You can find more art engagement resources by visiting my website, thinkingmuseum.com. And you can also find me on Instagram, at Thinking Museum, where I regularly share tips and tools on how to bring art to life and engage your audience. If you've enjoyed this episode, please share with others and subscribe to the show on your podcast player of choice. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.